A woman in Australia had developed a habit of asking people, what's the most important thing in life? And she heard a lot of answers. Health, loving one another, financial security. And sometimes a person tried to explain their answer more as if they were trying to convince themselves of their answer. One day, she found her father in the kitchen making coffee. And she asked him, what's the most important thing in life? And his answer was simple and calm and spontaneous. To forgive, he said. Her father was Jewish. And his entire family had been exterminated in the Holocaust. After those horrible times, he had remarried and moved to Australia, where his daughter was born, the one who asked him this question. He kept an old tin box of photos. Then they would have been black and white and grainy. Photos of his family murdered by the Nazis. A picture of his little girl, his wife, his mother and father, his sister and brother all murdered by the criminals who took control of the German government. They also took his home and his work. I cannot imagine the horror of that time. I cannot imagine the unbearable pain of that awful experience. And yet that man affirmed forgiveness as something that matters most in life. When I read this story, I whispered with the apostles, Lord, increase my faith, and wondered if I could ever do this, forgive like this. Perhaps you saw the news clip this week when the brother of Botham John delivered a victim impact statement in a Dallas courtroom. The jury had decided that an off-duty white police officer, Amy Geiger, was guilty of murder of Botham John, and that her explanation of being in the wrong apartment by mistake when hers was one floor above it, they dismissed that. Tensions were high, racially tinged, because she's white and the victim was black. She was sentenced to 10 years in prison and outside the tension and the anger grew because 10 years is not enough for the taking of a human life. In the courtroom, the victim's younger brother, 18 years old, Brant John, said this from the witness stand as his victim impact statement. And I'm going to read what he said. It's a little disjointed at times, but I think it's fairer to read what he said rather than for me to summarize it. If you truly are sorry, I can speak for myself, I forgive. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he'll forgive you. And I don't think anyone can say it, again, I'm speaking for myself, but I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I presently want the best for you. And I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. 
because I know that's exactly what Botham would want you to do. And the best would be to give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I, I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing, and Botham would want you to do it. Again, I love you as a person, and I don't wish anything bad on you. And then this 18-year-old young man asked the court's permission to hug Amy Geiger. And the two embraced in the middle of the courtroom and held on to each other, audibly weeping. And again, I whisper with the apostles, Lord, increase my faith. I don't know if I could have done that. The apostles asked for this increase in their faith when Jesus has just said in verses I did not read, he's just told them you have to forgive if somebody sins against you, if somebody betrays you, if somebody does harm to you, if they do it seven times in a single day and each time they say, well, I'm sorry, you must forgive seven times. If you're like me, you might be thinking, what about the eighth time? Can I clobber them then? And Jesus has also just said that someone who causes little ones to stumble, maybe he means children, maybe he means infant believers, people who are new to the faith, who've not matured yet in their understandings. He said those who cause stumbling for them should have a big rock hung around their necks and they should be thrown into the sea, which sounds like a mafia execution. But honestly, if someone sinned against us seven times in a single day, we might want to toss them at least in the Ohio River. And Jesus tells them if they had a tiny seed of faith, they could uproot mulberry trees and cast those into the sea. And all of this is just exaggerated speech to make a point. A startling point about what matters to God. And then he offers this offensive comparison to slavery of all things. Our minds and our hearts recoil at the word, and the description doesn't get much better. But remember in Luke's gospel in previous chapters, there's always been this flipping of things, this turning upside down of what the culture expects and then what Jesus expects in the kingdom of God. And so the rich man that they think is blessed of God because of his wealth, he dies and goes to Hades. And the poor man that they think is cursed because of his poverty, he dies and goes to heaven. That just flips their worldview. And a profligate father forgives the unforgivable son. That's not how they thought of things. And there's healing on the Sabbath. They didn't allow that. There's an invitation to the unworthy to come to the feast. And the exclusion of those who thought they were self-righteous, they got to go free. And they were not welcome. We might expect more upending like this in Luke 17 than we find it in this teaching about forgiveness because it does indeed flip their worldview. They harbored their resentments. They nursed their grudges. They held slights for a long time, even passed them on to generations, um, sort of like we do. And then Jesus flips all of this saying, forgive. And their statement, increase our faith, may well mean, how can anybody do that? It's not possible. And to complicate it further, 
suppose a member of church is sinning against me, and I'm right, but I don't forgive them. That makes me the one who's causing them to stumble, and I'm the one who should have the millstone around my neck cast into the sea. The issue is about my lack of forgiveness and my failure as a cause of what it does to them. I can be right all day long, but what's needed is forgiveness. And here is this offensive gospel, his analogy with slaves. It says to us, I'm not earning some reward by forgiving. I don't get special privileges for my goodness. I don't get stars in my crown for it. He offers this slavery comparison, and they would have been nodding their heads because they, it would have bought right into their prejudice. But at the end of it, he says, we are like slaves, all of us. And there's no special credit for doing what's expected. When we forgive, we are doing what is expected of people of faith. And it's a strong word. Oh, Lord Jesus, increase our faith. But forgiveness is not rational. It, it doesn't balance the accounts. But it's not about balance. It's not about rationality. It's about freeing us. It's about choosing not to stay stuck in the past. Forgiveness frees us of the chains of resentment. Carol has introduced us to that wonderful book on Wednesday nights, The Gorillas of Grace. Or I should say Gorillas of Grace, not The Gorillas. There's a prayer by Ted Loader in that book, Loosen My Grip, and it goes like this, at least part of it. Loosen my grip on those grudges and grievances I hold so closely that I may risk exposing myself to the spirit of forgiving and forgiveness that changes things and resurrects dreams and courage. Forgiveness feels dangerous like an 18-year-old in a Dallas courtroom offering forgiveness to the killer of his brother, not knowing what his own family might say or how angry they will be with him, nor how angry the crowd outside may be or how they may view him as weak, but demonstrating somehow that he has exposed heart and mind to this spirit of forgiveness, and it has freed him for this courageous, compassionate response to this one who committed a crime and who herself is broken. Oh Lord, increase our faith. And please note, forgiveness is not condoning. The teaching includes rebuking the offender first. It's no good to forgive in a hurry. We need to let ourselves feel the full force of the harm, to admit our anger and face it. And if we do not, then kindness has difficulty finding room within us. Interestingly, science tells us that forgiveness and empathy are activated in the same part of the brain. And I gestured to this side, but I have no idea where that actually is. But empathy is needed for forgiveness to place ourselves inside another's experience, to seek to understand their woundedness and their suffering. It does make forgiving easier, 
But do not hear me say that forgiveness is easy. It is one of the most difficult things we ever do. Maybe that's why he talks about forgiving seven times, an ongoing process. This, that what I thought I forgave in the morning, I got to do it again in the afternoon, in the evening, and wake up in the night and do it again. And I'll need to do it tomorrow. Certainly, sometimes harm caused by someone else just breaks us. The reputed abuse of children, the sexual assaults, sociopaths who have no empathy and they thrive on someone else's pain. There is this rebuking, there is this holding accountable, there is this containing of them so they don't harm someone else, and it is necessary. Little ones, little ones, children and newbies to faith must be protected. Yet forgiving is about our freeing, our getting unstuck, being able to forgive, being able to say, I'm sorry, I need forgiveness. Both of those require humility and flexibility. We can only be kind if the past no longer dominates us. In his book, The Power of Kindness, Piero Ferrucci has said, is written that sometimes forgiveness is the only remedy for unspeakable suffering. He says that as a psychotherapist, he wonders if he's asking too much of people when he asks, have you ever thought about forgiveness? And yet he says he's seen many who have forgiven, people who have suffered gravely in concentration camps or mistreatment as children, or terrible bullying, or injustices that just destroyed them. And yet, they were able to forgive. And he talks of being witness to that special moment, that extraordinary moment, when the nightmare ended and the joy was born. So we're asked to have faith, like a little seed, not so we can uproot trees and foul the sea, but so we can begin to do what feels impossible. Lift this big, heavy anger off our souls and continue the anger that continues to oppress and continues the injury that was done to us. To lift it so that the seeds of kindness can grow. So that the community, the community of faith, of people who forgive and are forgiven and who practice forgiveness can grow. People vulnerable with one another and kind. Oh Lord, increase our faith. Amen.